Today, we're beginning a three-week series about re-gifting with a little different take than Elaine and Jerry have on it. You see, we're talking about re-gifting the gifts we love the most, the gifts that we receive from God. And there's no way in three weeks that we're going to cover nearly everything and even a fraction of what God's given us. But we're just going to highlight three this Christmas season in our re-gifting. And we're, um, each week, as we talk about one of those gifts, you're going to get one of those tangibles to remind you of that. And our hope and our prayer is that sometime in these next few weeks, um, you'll look at each other and we'll look at ourselves and we'll exclaim with joy rather than Elaine's angst, I knew it, you're a regifter. We're going to do that and it's going to bring a smile. Well, I've been a recipient of some positively wonderful regifting, and Jared and I have um, together. You know, it was uh, probably 15 years ago now that, um, and we've shared this, this part of the story before, that we um, had an inkling that uh, there's a leadership transition that was taking place in our organization, and we realized we're not going to be part of that new uh, administration. And in that time, the problem was we still had five months to stay in place and run the ship even though you know you're on the, your way out. Have you ever been a lame duck at anything, you know, where you know it, it's, uh, it's going to be done? Um, you kind of don't have much to run on in that time. And it was a kind of a dark period, dark in the sense of you couldn't see what was next. We didn't understand what God was doing. We were confused about why this had all happened and the way that it had happened, and it wasn't a pleasant time for us. One of our friends outside of our tribe, our organization, uh, described it as you're kind of in free fall, because as you know, when people know that two people are on their way out, they all back off because they don't want to, like, it's eating the tainted fruit, I guess. But a lot of your relationships changed, so we felt very alone in that time. But there was this couple, Dave and Jeannie, and they were actually elders, very young elders, in our lives when we were in college, and we taught their son in a third grade Sunday school class. We were just, you know, kind of pastors in training at the time, uh, though none of us knew it. And um, we, ha- we didn't talk to them all the time or anything like that, but all of a sudden, in this first in this five-month period, Dave and Jeannie started sending us cards and letters and small gifts. And each card or letter had just a message of encouragement, and in it, they'd also include a verse of scripture. But the things that they sent, the items, were meant to stimulate hope in us. And one of those items, which I'm not a doodad person, I'm not saying, I hope that's not pejorative for any of you, but... Um, I just don't want to dust and take care of all those things. So, but I do have this, and it sits on my kitchen windowsill as a reminder. And this is by Willow Tree. And it's called the Angel of Hope, and it's just a reminder of the hope, of the regifting of hope that they did in our lives, and reminds me to be that kind of person for others. But in addition to this, they gave me a little wall hanging, or Jared and I a little wall hanging, and it had a picture of a butterfly. It was an etching, and it said metamorphosis. Out of the darkness of the cocoon, something beautiful emerges. And of course, they shared scriptures with us in the middle of that. But in that, this was just like a light coming on. Every time we opened our mail and had something from them, there was a little seed of hope planted. And you know what we heard? There's more. That's the message of hope. There's more than what you can see right now. 
There's more than what you're aware of right now. The best is yet to come. And this was the message they shared over and over. You know, hope simply means to expect. And New Testament hope is this confident, sure expectation of God's saving help in whatever it is you're facing, in whatever it is you've been talking with him about. It's living with a focus on the eternal, not just what's right in front of us, what we can touch and taste and see and feel. It's a patient, disciplined waiting and expectation of the Lord. Oh, no. I said the W word, waiting. Okay, hope by definition involves waiting. Romans 8, 23 through 25 says it this way, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, referring to when Jesus comes back. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Are you good at waiting? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, okay? Uh, but, I mean, you should wear that as a badge of honor if that's you, because I'm not, and I'm getting better at it, but I still have a long way to go. I happened to be at Costco last night, and when I'm at Costco, I have a standard procedure, standard operating procedure. Yeah, this was Saturday night. I was an idiot and went there on Saturday night. <laughs> Okay, but I had to pick up some things, and I scan the lines, and I'm looking not just for numbers of people, I'm looking for numbers of items that are in the cards, right? Because that's, you have to multiply that together, those two figures, and then you have your time that is going to take you. And all of that, that quick scan, emphasis on quick, all of it's for one purpose. I want to get through that as fast as I can. The thing is, Everything's not as simple as a checkout line. Some things are a lot more painful than that. You know, waiting gets tougher when we feel like we're in the dark. Waiting is tougher when we're going through a tough time, like waiting on the results from a biopsy, waiting for word from our loved ones in Alaska that experienced the earthquake Friday night. And any of you know Jerry Graves, who moved there from here, he's doing well. It was good to hear that. Or waiting for someone you love to come to find and follow Jesus, somebody that you're praying for. You know, don't you always want that to be sooner rather than later? And even more, waiting can happen when we're looking for results for somebody that's in a crisis time, that's in a life or death physical situation in that moment. And, you know, those are a lot harder than a checkout line at Costco. And hope helps us wait. It actually helps us wait. God's wisdom in Proverbs 13, 12 helps us understand why it's so important for us to be re-gifters of hope. Because none of us hope perfectly this side of heaven. The waiting gets to all of us. The results that we don't want to hear come back from the biopsy that we have cancer, that the story has more to it. And these disappoint and confuse us. And our hopes can be dashed when an outcome isn't quite the way we, we thought it would be. And disappointment can set in. 
Proverbs 13, 12 says this way, says it this way, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, I like how the message says it because it describes in another way, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good break can turn life around. I think they really captured the two emotions, right, of waiting and waiting and waiting, and then of when it really comes to pass. But what does this tell us? It tells us that our experience of hope is incomplete and episodic until we see Jesus. It's going to be that way. And because of that, we need to be re-gifters. Life doesn't always match our expectations, our longings, or our plans for ourselves or for others. And we encounter financial strain and losses. We encounter health issues that turn our lives upside down or relational strain, that relationship you're hoping to come back together. Maybe you've experienced political turmoil in your job. All organizations have it, right? And sometimes that affects your life and how work is playing out day after day. And that can create a lot of turmoil and darkness for you. But maybe it's the person who's not around your table this holiday season. Somebody that you've lost in this last couple years. And this can create a place of heartache instead of hope. And we can begin to lose sight of God's future for us. And we grow discouraged. Maybe we're just getting tired and we begin to isolate ourselves. Sometimes we even go so far as to let those kinds of incidents drive a wedge between us and Jesus. But ultimate hope is only found in God. God's hope says the best is yet to come, and the bad things in my life will be turned into ultimate good in the end. And only God can make that promise. Do you agree? Only God can promise us that the best is yet to come. And only God promises that our bad things will turn into ultimate good. So we want to take a look in considering regifting. We want to look at how does God give us hope in Jesus? And I want to talk about three ways he does that, and then we'll just real quickly summarize four tips for it. So first of all, he, God shows us a preferred future, that the best is yet to come. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 3, it's this wonderful, what they call a messianic prophecy. Isaiah is talking to Israel at a time that's 600 plus years before Jesus' arrival, and he's letting them know that Jesus is going to come. The Messiah that they've been hoping for is going to come. This is just one of many places that he tells them that, but let me read it. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Help is on the way. That's the gist of his message to him right there. This prophet is saying this to a people that is in exile, whose families have been scattered apart, and whose lives have been shattered, and whose traditions have been trampled underneath by the nation that's holding them in exile. 
And he's promising them a savior is coming. Better days are ahead. And God does this over and over again in scripture. He gives us a picture of the future to help us hope, to help us wait through the dark time that we might be in. But Jesus' arrival was only going to be the beginning of this help. His death and his resurrection brought us the ultimate, the hope of heaven, a place that John describes in the Revelation as a place bathed in light that we can hardly imagine. And the light is the light of God's presence. It's not any artificial sources. And in that place, there will be no more pain and no more tears. Every tear will be wiped away and no more disappointments, and no more hopes dashed. It will be a place of ultimate fulfillment for each one of us. Now, Peter describes that hope as a living hope, and he does that because it's eternal and it's indestructible. There will be no recalls there. There will be nothing perishable in that. There is no entropy in our future. It is an indestructible future. And here's what he says in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth through the, through the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Hey, that's for us, you guys. This inheritance is for all of us. That is good news. This is what they call the blessed hope, the eternal life with God that heaven awaits all of us, and that this life is just a precursor to the best life, the one that awaits. And this means that whatever I'm experiencing right now is not the end of my story. My story, your story that person that you really care about that's going through a terrible time right now, their story. It's not the end. It's not over. There is something better ahead. The early Christians who were under Roman rule and who Nero, a crazy leader, was persecuting severely, they developed a greeting for each other. And that greeting was Maranatha, this Arabic compound word that meant Jesus is coming, okay? The Lord is coming, And can you understand why that might have helped them? Because each day when they'd see each other or to greet each other, to say Maranatha in the middle of a life that was fraught with persecution and hardship, they were extending the hope of God, the preferred future of God. This is not the end. There's more to come. So our hope changes how we see the present. It's not just about the future. It provides perspective for what we're experiencing in this moment. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of God's care and his power and his willingness to take care of us in the middle of that and his plan to do that. God will do this for you in the middle of your story. He'll remind you there's more, and it's really good. So... Jordan was not our first child. My first pregnancy, I was about 12 weeks along, and I went to a pastor's conference, and of course, I thought I was safe to announce it to the world, so I did. But the next week after that conference, I lost the baby and had a miscarriage. 
had to have a DNC. So I was coming home, and a couple days later we had church, and I can remember sitting in church, and we were singing this song. It's based on one of the Hebrew names for God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. His grace is sufficient for me. And I was holding it all together in that service until that verse came, until that song came on. In the middle of that song, I remember running to the kitchen, which sat in back of our auditorium, and um, kind of hiding out to pull it together. Because at that time, I always wanted to appear very strong, uh, which meant no tears. You can hardly believe that now, right? <laughs> right? Because you know, you're not going to believe it by the end of this message either. So <laughs> just letting you know. But the thing is, I was not crying tears of sadness. I had tears of hope because what I heard God say is, and there's more. I have more for you. This isn't the end of the story on kids. And this isn't the end of anything. This is the beginning of new things with me. So hang on. My grace is sufficient for you. And with that, hope was born. So God gives us a picture of a preferred future, and I've given you each a tangible of a candle. And why is it a candle? Well, when I uh, was um, in 2007, I happened to hit the, the big storm at the coast that flooded Vernonia. Any of you remember that storm? It knocked out cell power to us. And I drove over that night at the start of the storm uh, because my mom and her sister were over at a beach house by themselves, so I had to go over and protect them. Okay, so I drove over, and on the way over, a tree had fallen across 26, and cars were stopped both ways, and all of us got out of our cars and moved the tree together. Okay, fortunately, it was a skinny end that was across the road. And we moved it, and we were able to clear just one lane, though, because it was too big at the other end. And we all took turns and got around, so that's how my evening started. I got to uh, where my mom and my Aunt Donna were staying, and we just had a round of cards, and I started to fix dinner, and the lights went out. And it was absolute darkness. And for four days, the light that we had were five candles, pillar candles that I brought, left over from my daughter's wedding. And each of us at night would take one of those candles, lit to our bedroom, and it'd be our little you know, light lighting the way. But the thing is, we wanted you to have a candle because of just like that, light dispelled our darkness and helped us navigate when there was no light. And we have times like that in life. And hope is the candle. Hope is like that. God's promise to us. Jehovah Jireh, your provider, my grace is sufficient for you. That is the light that helped me navigate the difficult, disappointing time. And that's why we're going to light a candle this week as we share about our hopes and the people that we need to re-gift hope to. Because we're reminded, we're reminded that there's more, and we see the light at the end of our tunnel. So God shows us this preferred future, but secondly, he puts our problems into perspective for us. He gives us perspective. So my son, Jordan, um, is a physician, and his hands are an important part of what he does. Um, and keeping those hands healthy, as hands and his head are a big piece of that. And um, he was having problems. He was getting blisters on his hands, and then those got infected, and they got so infected, and nothing was helping, no drugs, no antibiotics, and they were using the strongest things they could, and it caused him to miss two separate full weeks of work, which is, is highly unusual. 
And we'd been praying about it. When the second week happened, you know, where he got it again, and he'd helped somebody move, and the blisters came back, I was just like, God, are you seeing this? Are you doing this? You know, parents, you never quit praying for your kids. You never quit caring about what's happening for them. And I was reading in my devotions that day, Isaiah 40. Again, this wonderful uh, prophetic word. And it starts in verse 25. Here's what God said to me. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Anne? Why do you say, Anne, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He'll not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And when I'd finished reading these words, these words that were written to a bunch of people in captivity who were tough in tough times, and they were extremely discouraged. And they basically brought God down to their own level, thinking he was either forgetful or tired. Kind of like me, that they're being overlooked. Maybe you've done that too, when your life is in a difficult place. And here's what I wrote to the Lord there in the margins. Consider the greatness of God, and he'll right-size everything that concerns us. Creation itself is held in place by his power and mighty strength. Lord, who, you who determine the stars' positions and call them by name can corral and stop bacteria in Jesus' name. You can keep our son's hands well and free from infection. Heal our son's body of this eczema that gives entry to things that bring harm, that brings pain and problems with his hands, and let his hands be hands of healing. And in that moment, in that simple moment of reading that, I had perspective on this problem because I saw for a moment the greatness of God. And this just happens over and over. I saw that God had power over creation, but more than that, he cares about creation. And he cares about my son, and he has the ability to keep his hands well and free from infection. You see, as we mentioned earlier, hope is not just about the future. It's about today, the moment you and I are in. It's about changing our perspective on how we see the present. God's not tired. He's not ignoring us. He sees us, and he will help us through whatever we are going through. Consider the greatness of God, and your problems will be put in perspective. Now, our son's hands... He got put into a special clinic, and in that, they discovered that he was allergic to one ingredient, a very obscure ingredient in the soap that Providence uses in all their facilities, and literally, they got him special soap, and his hands have been free ever since. 
And we thank the Lord for that. But the better part is seeing that before it happens, is trusting that God can do that. And you know what? This is not the only time that God talks about this or does this with us. You see, Jesus told his disciples during his final week of life, which they weren't too happy about, mind you, and this is hours before his death. He, he looks at him in John 16, 33, and he says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. Tribulation. Oh, that's a cheery note. Does that give you all hope, right? No, Jesus is very realistic, he said. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What's he doing? He's saying, I know this is how it is right now, that you're hurting, that you're worried, that you can't figure out what's going on here, because they really didn't know what was going on. But it's going to be okay in the end. And he put their situation, their feelings, and what they were experiencing in perspective, and because he let them know what I'm doing will cause, it will give you eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. If I go I, to the Father, I'll send you another who will be with you always in my name. So when our promised Savior finally arrived 600 years after Isaiah's words, he says some other really interesting words. Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's not forgetful or tired or ignoring. Instead, he's inviting. In our trouble, he invites us, Come to me, and I will give you rest. I'll give you a new perspective, and I'll help you get through. I'll give strength to the weary as you hope in me. So Jesus right-sizes our problems, and he causes them to work out for our ultimate good. And I want to ask you today, who do you know in your life that needs to hear that? Maybe it's you today, but maybe it's somebody else. So God shows us our preferred future and he, he puts our problems in perspective. And finally, he reminds us of his saving power, that our future, it's not just out there, but it's also a very secure future. Now, I'm going to share a very familiar verse, and very, most times you only hear this verse all by itself, John 3.16. But what's amazing is the verse that follows it, you know? And so often that's not quoted with it. So I want to say in both, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be saved. Yeah. Who is Jesus talking to when he shares this amazing news? He's talking to one man. His name is Nicodemus. He's a guy who thinks he knows a lot about God. He's a religious leader, but he doesn't really know Jesus yet. And he's heard Jesus just enough, and he's heard his ideas about following God, and he's not sure what to think anymore. And Nicodemus is wondering just enough, could this Jesus really be who he says he is, the Messiah we've been waiting for? That he comes to Jesus and has this nighttime conversation, and it's in that moment that Jesus shares with him his saving power. And he begins to wonder. I wonder, could that be true? Maybe today, that's where some of you find yourself. You've thought about Jesus, you've heard a little bit about him, but you haven't really been convinced. You're not sure, but you're starting to wonder. 
That's God's saving power at work. He says our future is secure. Who in your world needs to hear the life-saving power of Jesus is available for them? What's one name that comes to mind for you today? You know, you have two invite cards, or you have an invite card there, and there's more in the back to our Christmas Eve service. It's an evening of hope, an evening where we celebrate that God's saving power came. He came to earth for everyone, for all. The rich and the poor, the disenfranchised, the fringe, the people who are rejected, the people who could barely make it to him and had to have others help him. Jesus came for all, and to all a good night. That was the angel's message. And we want to see these cards not as a chunk of paper that we can toss around, but as a person. Each one of these cards has a name and a face to it. I encourage you to put the name and face to it that you know you're to share with this Christmas, that you could invite. More importantly, that you could relate to them. You could share with them. You could love on them this Christmas. And who knows, they could end up like Nicodemus and begin to wonder, is this Jesus, really true? And for me? So God gives us hope by showing us a preferred future and by putting our problems in perspective and by showing us his saving power. So I want to leave us with four tips on regifting that same hope that we've received in those ways from God back to others. The first of those is to be interruptible. The opportunity to give hope is going to happen in the middle of your plans, in the middle of your busy schedule. And there's not a really a busier season than Christmas in most people's lives. And so I just encourage you to take notice of those who are around you and stop for them. Stop and listen to their story. Pull out what's happening for them because it's as you understand what's going on in their life that you'll know what they need, that you'll know how to re-gift hope with them. Secondly, is to support those going through difficult times. And boy, sharing God's love with them and letting them know that they're not alone and that they're in God's vision. You see, our hope is shaped by our experiences. And some people have been disadvantaged, folks. You might not realize this. Not everybody has what you have. Not everybody has the life or the parenting or the experience, life experiences that you have. And I think you do know this because of your radical response to our opportunities to give hope to some people in our world. First of all, the 104 families that you provided Thanksgiving meals for that represented more than 540 people that got to eat Thanksgiving dinner because of you. That's what we're talking about, simple things that tell people, I see you and you matter and God loves you and I want to be an extension of his hope to you. And secondly, most of you don't know this, but we had so much food that we had some left over. 30 bags of groceries were delivered to Mooberry Elementary School this week and they were overwhelmed with your response and we were able to give them some Winco gift cards too so that they could get fresh items because every family needs that in their meal. But in addition to that, Jared shared with you 253 precariously housed students this year. We don't rejoice in the number, but I rejoice in your generosity that 253 students that need to know that God sees them in their story, that they matter 
that even if part of what got them there is them not getting along with their parents and leaving home, because that is always a few of their stories, right? That we don't judge them. Jesus didn't use his power to judge, but to save. We don't use our power in their lives to judge, but to come and love them. And so thank you for doing that. That was just a wonderful gift. And then lastly, the Guatemala scholarships, the 50-50 challenge, and two the count this morning is at $8,120. And I think you ought to give yourselves all a hand for being great givers of hope. Yeah. So the third tip for regifting hope is to encourage, like God does, with a preferred future. Share God's promises with the people around you. You know, you don't have to do that with King James English or even the, the Bible quoted Share what you know of it. Write it out of the message. Use something that they can understand and share God's promises with them for their situation. Again, if you've listened, if you've stopped, if you've heard their story, you'll know what they need. Maranatha is not a bad reminder this Christmas. For many of us, just greeting one another by name could remind all of us that the best is yet to come. I just want to encourage you, we need each other to be regifters. We need it too. Not just people out there, but all of us together. In just a moment, the ushers are going to come and they're going to pass gluten-free crackers and juice. And I'm going to ask you to each take an element and hold on to it um, for the next few minutes. And then we'll, we'll be sharing it together in a special way. That brings us to the fourth and final way that we can regift. It's pray. Point others to the true source of hope. I've never had anybody refuse an offer, uh, an offer of prayer. And so at the very least, we can pray for them. I love the prayers of Paul, and I especially like this one in Romans 15, verse 13. This is my favorite verse of all about hope. And we can pray it for ourselves over our lives. We can pray it for others. And we can pray it for those who are outside the door too. Because part of this prayer is saying, God, help them to trust you. Trust is closely linked with hope. And we can ask that God would help people to do that that have never trusted him before. Here's what he wrote. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may be overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have a silver gift here. It's time to light another candle, and I think I forgot to light one of them, so I'll just do it now. So when Jared and I got an inkling that things, uh, there was going to be an administrative change in our organization that we've been part of for 40 years, um, when we got an inkling that that was going to happen, that Jared got this word from the Lord, and it came with a picture, and it was a big silver gift wrap box with a big silver bow. I had to kind of downsize it, okay? Um, but when that happened, the Lord said this to him. He said, this is going to be my gift to you. This is a gift. It's very rare to hear losing your job is going to be a gift, Right? But that's what God told us. He didn't say anything more than that. It hadn't even happened yet, but that's what God said. So I went out at convention in San Francisco, and I had a box gift wrap for him, one that was manageable, this very box. 
and it is 15 years old, folks. It has sat on a shelf up in our study on our books there, and we've looked at it. Now, that's part of the story that he's shared, but here's what I want to tell you. See, our grandkids have started noticing this box, whether it's Christmas or what, but in the last month, the three girls have all asked us, what is that box, Grammy? Is there anything in it? And so I tell them what the box is. And I tell them, you know, this box represents something that God spoke to Papa about our future when we were at a time of uncertainty. And he told us it was a gift and it was about our moving back to Oregon and all the wonderful things that have happened since then. And that was okay, but the girls wanted to know, is there something in it? (laughs) You know, that's great. I'm glad it represents that. Not all of them are into uh, abstract thinking yet. Okay, so... I I told them, no, it's empty. And when I did it this time, he said, it's not empty. And I began to think about what was in this box, the promise gift that God had for us. And here's what I thought of. Getting to be near Jared's parents in their final years, being near our extended families, my mom getting to be near her siblings, and you can pass communion. Thanks. Me getting to help another tribe with their church planting efforts for several years. Jared getting to mentor and pastor marketplace leaders and lead them to Jesus, people who wouldn't have stepped foot in a church as their first step. Neighbors in Arenco that we've loved and ones that we've watched come to Jesus, even though several of them now have moved on to Colorado and various places around. But that wasn't the big thing. He said, all of you, this community called Evergreen, you're inside the package. Your love Your care for people who are outside the door, for people who are less fortunate, for people who have yet to hear about Jesus. The hope for what God is doing here for us is great. And we're so grateful for your amazing generosity and your tireless work to help people find and follow Jesus. You are the gift, friends. It's your faces that we'll think of as we look up that shelf where this gift will return to and we remember God's word to us. This is my gift to you. And I want you to know that our response is gratitude, extreme gratitude that he chose us to be here with you in this time and we are so excited about the future. So I want to invite you today to be re-gifters of hope to the people in your life. What if this week each one of us just picked one person and we re-gifted hope to them? We stopped our schedule, we interrupted ourselves, and we offered support or encouragement or prayer or all three, depending on what was needed in the situation. This week, you can be somebody's silver gift with your words, with your deeds, with your interruptibleness. We're going to take communion together. 
because we're going to celebrate our eternal hope in Jesus Christ, which only comes about because he went to the cross, which is what we're remembering. And I want to just encourage you. We wanted to do this in small groups today of at least two people. Let's have nobody be alone. I know that some of you are introverts. You don't have to talk a lot, but here's what I'd like you to do. If, if you'd pray for people you know that need hope, represented in your group, if you'd remember together Jesus' death and resurrection that made possible an eternal future with him, and we'd remind each other that the best is yet to come, and then take communion together. Can you do that? Marley and the band are going to um, play in the background as we do that softly. I encourage you to turn in your groups now and take communion together.